Hello, welcome to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast, where it is all about helping amazing physicians just like you create a wealthy life free from burnout and with the financial security to practice medicine on your own terms. I'm your host, Dr. Elisa Zhang. Hello, and thank you so much for listening to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast. This is an episode that I've been thinking about doing for a while and haven't quite decided how I want to do it until now. I hear people talking all the time about wanting to create generational wealth or selling the idea behind creating generational wealth. One belief I have is that if you don't teach your children about how to manage money and wealth, then generational wealth can be lost within a couple generations or even one generation. We've all heard about lottery winners who end up going into bankruptcy. And these same lottery winners were often able to manage their money just fine without significant issues and certainly never faced bankruptcy prior to winning the lottery. Now, one of the reasons why it's taken me some time to actually figure out how to do this episode is that I don't personally have kids, so I can't really speak from personal experience. And I've always been warned against talking to someone about raising kids when you don't have kids. And I totally see the point of that because I know conversations I had with my sister about how she thought she would raise her kids and how different it is now that she actually has kids. So not being those shoes, it's a little hard for me to say or suggest or recommend things to do. So instead, I thought what I would do is go back and talk about my experience about how my parents talked about money when I was a kid. And these are going to be somewhat distant memories I have, but I think that that might be powerful in the sense that I feel like in my family, all three of us kids, I have a younger brother and a younger sister, have actually been quite good about managing money. We all actually have a different way we manage money, but we, I think, did get some amount of, I don't want to say financial education, but money was talked about when I was growing up. And I'm sure that that shifted and framed how I thought about money and what I've done with money and how I've been able to grow a lot of my wealth. I'm going to apologize in advance that this episode is likely going to be more about me rambling about my childhood and without as much of the organization that often comes in a lot of my podcast episodes. I grew up in Beechwood, Ohio which is a a suburb on the east side of Cleveland, Ohio. As an adult, I can now identify this community as an upper-middle-class suburb. I grew up in a four-bedroom, two-bath house on a quarter-acre lot. My father was a professor working at Cleveland State University, and my mom did different things when I was growing up. When I was born, she was a postdoc in plant physiology at Case Western Reserve University, but she actually left her career in science once she became a mother. I am the firstborn. I have a younger sister who's about two years younger than me and a younger brother who's about six years younger than me. After she left science, she worked on a PhD in accounting, which she didn't actually complete due to having more children, and she had rough pregnancies. And I will say that likely shaped my not wanting to be a mother or have children was being the oldest and actually having memories of her going through the pregnancy with my younger brother. My family ended up opening a retail computer store in the mid-1980s along with some other partners. And my mom primarily worked at that store during my elementary school years. At some point, she left that business and started her own computer business, which she ran out of the basement of our home with one employee. And so that's kind of the financial background of growing up. Both my parents immigrated to the United States. My dad came to the United States at age 16 with, I want to say one suitcase, but maybe he had two. 
his older sister was already living in the US. So he actually came over by himself and then went to go live with his sister where he did one more year of high school. I'm not really sure how the finances worked at that point, how much his sister kind of helped him. Obviously, he was living with his sister, but he decided to not graduate high school. He had like two more classes left. He tells me that he had to have more gym credit and more health class credit. And he found a college that would take him without him graduating from high school. So he just went to college and he went through college working his way through and and getting scholarship. So my father really was in many ways a self-built man. My mother came a little later. She finished college in Taiwan and came to the United States for graduate school. She and that's where my parents met was in graduate school at UC Berkeley. So my parents really came from a position of really not necessarily having a lot when they came here. My dad is one of 11 children and my mom is one of seven children. So I won't say I know a lot about how money worked in terms of my grandparents giving my parents money. I do know that my mother's mother helps my parents actually with the down payment for the house they bought in Beechwood when they finally moved to the Cleveland area, when my father took his first job as a professor and my mom and my mom was working as a postdoc at Case Western Reserve University. So that being said, I grew up thinking that we didn't have a lot of money. There was always food to eat and we always have the things that we needed. We wore hand-me-down clothes for my cousins. We didn't have a lot of toys and it always seemed like my classmates had a lot more. We did a lot of drawing with crayons Growing up, we did have like some Legos. We rarely ate at restaurants. And even if we did go to a restaurant, we knew we had to only have water, no soft drinks. Vacations were mostly road trips to visit relatives or else they were road trips to a conference related to that computer store, which was a franchise called MicroAge. I also remember that when my parents talked about money, it was mostly about how much things cost. And there was definitely the idea of money doesn't grow on trees. Why buy ice cream in an ice cream shop when you can get a whole box of ice cream for the same price at a grocery store? During the winter holidays, I remember friends getting lots of presents, and we may get one present from our parents. We actually got a box of presents that was shipped to us from Taiwan from my mother's godmother. And that was always the biggest excitement because that would be the most toys we ever got at once. We didn't really necessarily celebrate birthdays with gifts when we were young, at least not gifts from my parents. And from my memory, it's not like we really asked for gifts, especially when we're really young, like elementary school age. I do remember when I realized for the first time that we weren't actually like really poor. My father had a graduate student and for some reason we were invited to their apartment. I don't really remember why we went to their apartment, but his graduate student was a family of three. There was a mother, father, and there was a son my age and they lived in a one bedroom apartment. I don't remember if it was the father or the mother that was a graduate student, but you know, I do remember the boy and his bed was in the living room area. And his parents had a bed in the very small one bedroom of the apartment. And I just remember thinking like, oh, like this is like so small for three people to live in. I can't really remember what age I was. I'm going to say some, sometime around maybe age eight or nine or maybe even 10, but probably around that period. And then this family was also invited to our house, which was huge in comparison. And I still remember that boy's reaction in seeing our house, like his eyes grew so big and he just 
thought it was this huge mansion. And I actually remember feeling a little embarrassed that we had so much more than he did. At some point, my parents would go halfway with us if there was something we really wanted to buy. When I really wanted a new bike, I saved up half the money for the bike and they paid for the other half. And then I got to go to the store and choose which bike I wanted and buy something where I had saved half of it. I remember I got this black and hot pink bike. Like it was my first bike that had like different speeds on it. And we could save money that we got from like my grandparents or from working. And I do remember that as soon as I was old enough to do jobs like babysitting, I did. And honestly, I didn't really spend a lot of the money that I made. I just liked having the money. I remember like I like counting the money and having that was mine. I had this embroidered pocketbook that I got as a gift that I would save all my money. And I actually still have that embroidered pocketbook. Currently, it keeps some crisp $2 bills. My family's financial situation did improve as I got older. Around middle school, I started getting an allowance, which I think I knew at the time was for me to learn how to manage money. I remember learning to never waste money. The allowance was enough to allow me to buy lunch at school for the week. I think lunch was $2 a day if you bought the set meal, and I got $10 a week. But I also had the option of making my own lunch at home and bringing it to school so that I could save the money to use it for something else. And I can tell you, I very rarely bought lunch at school. I might sometimes buy an ice cream sandwich, which I remember was like 50 cents because I wanted to use the money for something else. And I was totally willing to make lunch from either leftovers from the previous dinner or make sandwiches or whatnot. So when I was in middle school, my dad took a sabbatical for a year. And he usually, I think, actually worked over the summer teaching summer courses, but that year he didn't work over the summer. And he took our family on a cross-country trip across the United States, both summers of that sabbatical year. We visited national parks and relatives across the country. And one of those summers, there was actually a big family reunion in Maryland, and I met a lot of my cousins for the first time. There are some cousins that I had met regularly over the Christmas holidays, but there were other cousins that that was the first time I met those cousins. For these trips, we got the Classic Cruiser, which was one of those big vans where the back seat actually would like fold down into a bed and the front seats could fold all the way down to reach the second row seats. So they basically made like a single bed where someone could lie flat. And we used this van to like essentially camp in our van. So I guess it was like a camper van in the sense, but not the kind of same camper vans that we really see now. It was on this trip that I really started to first appreciate travel. My father also taught me how to use a single lens reflex camera and taught me photography during this trip, which is still one of my passions. Looking back on these trips now, I saw that my father really stretched every dollar, but was really able to give us memorable experiences. I still remember how happy he was to get five cent coffee at Wall Drug in South Dakota. I recently returned from a road trip where we were actually at Wall Drug, and they still have that five-cent coffee. I also remember learning to eat when you can, and the exact quote is like, you never know when your next meal is going to be. That probably taught me maybe not the best eating habits, but there were long drives where there may not be a good place to stop and eat. So my dad really kind of taught us, it's like, okay, when we're stopping for a meal, this is the time where you get food, and if you don't eat now, you may be hungry before the next time we stop and eat. So there was definitely a little bit of a 
maybe scarcity mindset, but also maybe a planning ahead type of mindset with that. But what I really take monetarily from those trips, looking back on it, is the wonderful experiences we got that really I don't think cost that much. I remember we had National Parks Pass, which I believe back then was $50 for a year. And now I think it's $75 or $85 per year. I should know because I just bought one. But it's it's one of the, like, I mean, it, it can be such a money savings if you're going to a lot of national parks because national park entrance fees can be anywhere between $15 for the smaller national parks and monuments to $25, I think it was for Devil's Tower and I think some are even $30, $35 range. There are some national parks that are free without an entrance fee. The Kiowa Valley National Park, which is around me, is one of those. You can just imagine if you're going to three or four parks over the course of a year, where you can really save money to get this pass. And I do believe that once you're over the age of 65, you can get the pass and it's not like an annual pass anymore. It's like a lifetime pass. I think my dad is really happy when he got that, uh, which I do know that he has. With camping and paying just for a tent or campsite in a national park, which currently can range, but it was recently just $14 when I was in Theodore Roosevelt National Park. And $14 for whole family to stay overnight is definitely much cheaper than even your cheapest motels, which I would say a cheap motel these days is probably about $60 to $80. And when we were just recently at Theodore Roosevelt National Park, it was actually over $200 for the motel that we stayed at. And I actually used points for that. So the takeaway is using money to create experiences because those experiences really, like I still savor them and they're still part of my life and have given me so much. And I think probably how much my parents, my dad spent on taking us on that experience, you know, really he took, he really spent his time. That was probably the most valuable thing to spend that time with my family in that way. But also just, he made each dollar really stretch to the point where it was really meaningful over time. I think if I had the same amount of money he spent on that vacation just in toys, like those toys wouldn't have given me the same kind of experience that him taking us across the country traveling did. Another experience that really influenced my life a lot too was actually the first time I went to Europe. One of my good childhood friends, her father earned a Fulbright scholarship in Vienna. So her family all went to Vienna, Austria for my freshman year of high school and her freshman year of high school. During that year, we wrote letters to each other and we really stayed in touch. And her parents actually invited me to come out to Vienna and stay with them and be able to experience some of Europe. And so my parents actually let me go. And they bought me a plane ticket and I traveled at uh, the age of 14 by myself from Cleveland. I did a layover in JFK and then flew direct from JFK to Vienna. And I remember my flight from Cleveland to JFK was delayed so that I only had 15 minutes to get across JFK's airport. And they did hold the plane for me knowing that a 14-year-old was coming. But So I made it to Vienna, but my suitcase didn't make it to Vienna, um, but the suitcase got delivered the next day to the apartment where my friend's family was living. That experience, I really absolutely love Vienna. I still love Vienna. We were two 14-year-old girls. And because of the great public transportation in Europe, we could go around the city. We went and saw museums and palaces and churches and, and went and had dessert and lovely cafes. 
And it was really just an amazing time. I absolutely loved it. I still think of it so fondly. And so, you know, I'm sure that ticket was expensive for my parents to send me to Europe. We did not travel by plane to go on family vacations back then. Or at least we very rarely did. Do you remember we did do one trip to Disney World in Florida? But I think we actually drove to Florida. Flying five people, a family of five, is it is a lot of money. And I think flying, actually, the cost of flying has is one of those things that has not really increased so much in inflation if you look over the past few decades. Flying back when we were younger, or when I was younger, was definitely more of a luxury. And then I think it is now, I think it's a lot more commonplace to fly now. Another memorable story when it comes around money is the story of my brother getting his Nintendo. Really, I think it was supposed to be a family Nintendo, but my brother was the one who really kind of kept asking for the Nintendo. My brother, again, is six years younger than I am. So he definitely had a little bit of a different experience in terms of my parents did have a little bit more money. They financially got better with time. So I did feel like my brother kind of got more material things like toys and would actually ask for things more so than my sister and I ever did at the same age. But so he really wanted Nintendo and a lot of our friends had game consoles and we would go over their houses to play. Remember, we went to our next door neighbor house to play. And of course, when you're going to other kids' house to play, there's other kids and everyone has to take turns. And we never really got good at the game because we couldn't play it when we weren't at someone else's house. At the time, my parents actually had a townhouse rental, which I think they were acquired through a friend who had the rental and was moving out of town and didn't want to keep it because they were moving. So they ended up selling it to my parents. My parents had a tenant who wasn't paying rent. So my father would actually go there to try to collect rent. One time he went to try to get rent and he saw that his tenants had a Nintendo. So his tenants weren't paying him the rent for living there. So he was still paying the mortgage and he was still upkeeping the townhouse, but they had a Nintendo for their children. And that night my dad came home with a Nintendo. He was just, I think he was just so mad that basically in his mind, he bought that Nintendo for his tenants because his tenants weren't paying him, but they bought the Nintendo. And I think he sold the rental property pretty soon after that too. So one thing a lot of people think about when they have children is how to pay for their college education. And there was a lot of talk about saving money for college when I was a kid. And there was a lot of talk about like, we have to get good grades so that we can get scholarship for college and college is very expensive and we need to save for college. Again, I really didn't spend a lot of the money that I made working part-time jobs. And I did put it into account to save for college. I worked part-time for a family friend doing billing. I taught people how to use their computers. And actually, when I was teaching people how to use their computers, I made $20 an hour doing that, which was really good money back then. In fact, I remember when I finished grad school and I hadn't gone back to med school, I had a gap of several months and I was looking for work that I couldn't even find work that would pay me $20 an hour with a PhD in neuroscience. I spent the summer before going to college working part-time at a photography store, though though part of me took that job more for the discount on printing photos than for the wages itself. When it came to choosing what college to go to, I ended up choosing to go to Caltech, which is a private school. And I remember the discussions about how much each college tuition was, how much scholarship I got, how much the other costs of college were. 
and how much this would mean me taking out loans for school. So I try to be very frugal in college, knowing that my college education was much more so than if I went to Ohio State where I had gotten a scholarship. So I would really pay almost nothing for my college education had I gone to Ohio State. But I will say, also remember when I came home from college and my parents had bought new leather couches and this big screen TV for the living room, as well as a new car, and then had given my sister their older car to drive. So apparently paying for college wasn't as bad as they anticipated. (laughs) But I remember being just dumbfounded. It was also important on me that the purpose of college was to get a good job. So it's not surprising that myself and my two siblings, we all got engineering degrees. My sister at one point had actually considered becoming a fashion major. And when my father said that was her choice, that she could do it, but he wasn't willing to pay for her to get a degree in fashion. And so he would stop paying for her college if she transferred to doing fashion degrees. So she ended up with her engineering degree as well. And then one other great thing I think my parents did for me is that once I graduated college, my parents told me that now was the time to open a Roth IRA and start contributing to it, that this is what adults do as soon as they're done with their education, that they have to start contributing to their IRA. They didn't really explain to me that this was actually like a retirement account, and I actually need to not just put the money in, but invest the money that goes into it. I think they just let me figure it out, and I did, but that money sat in cash for a few years before I actually figured out investing. And I'm not sure I even realized it was money for a retirement account as opposed to a different kind of savings account. Because before going to medical school, I actually worked one year doing research at Caltech and met with human resources. And they talked about putting money into the retirement account at Caltech. And I remember thinking, oh, retirement's far away and I'm applying med school. I'm going to be a doctor. I'll have more money put towards retirement at that point. And I do think the one was trying to tell me, oh, the time compounding efforts and it's important to do it now. At that time, I actually did put $3,000, which I think was the max you put in Roth IRA at that point, but I don't think I put anything into that employee retirement account, which likely had some matching. So unfortunately, I probably left some money on the table there. But at any rate, I at least started learning about these things very early on. So I hope this episode was at least somewhat helpful. I'm talking about my experience with things that my parents did and what I take away from that now. Looking back, there was a lot of scarcity around money that I did learn early on, but I also learned to appreciate that my parents talked about money. They talked about the value of money. They talked about how much money could get you something and how much things cost. They taught me to be frugal, but also to use money for experiences. And I think that was really important. Because looking back at how they spent money and how I spend money now, I do spend a lot more money on things like travel, which give me great experiences that you know continue to enrich my life even after the travel is completed. I remember my mom saying to me once, and this she said to me when I was an adult, not when I was a kid, but what she said was, if you have a problem that money can solve and you have the money, it's not really a big problem. And I don't remember if I was in college or in med school at that point, but As time has gone by, I've learned kind of the wisdom that, of course, money only solves the problem money solves, but money can solve a lot of problems. And so when I come across a problem, it feels like a big problem, but I realize I can solve this and 
you know, yes, it'll take money and maybe even a lot of money to solve it, but I do have that money, then I can really see that it's really not so big of a problem because there are problems that money can't solve. Anyway, I'm going to wrap up this podcast episode here. Let me know if you like this podcast, if you like kind of me talking more about just personal experiences, and if you're really getting something out of it, then I'm happy to talk more about money stories with my life if I know that you're getting value of it, because I'm not necessarily one to just talk about myself. I'm happy to do so. I know sometimes when I listen to podcasts, it's like I get to know that person. I want to know more about their personal life, but I know it's kind of a one-sided experience because now being on the other end of a podcaster, I don't get the feedback from the audience of what you want to hear so much. So please let me know by emailing me at growyourwealthymindset at gmail.com. And of course, share your wins with me. I want to hear about your money wins, no matter how small. It could be as small as, you know, you set up for your bills to pay automatically so you don't get any more late fees, or you set up for automatic investment, even if it's only $100 a paycheck, but it's constantly getting invested so that you're getting into the habit of regularly putting away money for yourself and paying yourself first. Whatever win it is, no matter how small, I want to hear it. And then I'm going to put, for every win that you send me, put your name in a drawing for Amazon gift card. So please email me, DM me. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with your friends and colleagues. And now for the disclaimer. I am not a certified financial planner, accountant, or attorney, and nothing I say should be construed as professional investment, tax, or legal advice. This show is primarily for your education and entertainment. I am a physician, but I'm probably not your physician. So if you need any medical advice, please contact your own physician. Thank you.